för riffs. Där kommer det insignalen på båda. Jag kör lite intro då. Yo! Welcome to Gain It For Riffs, where the energy is always high. Thank you for that lovely little intro, uh, Jonathan. And uh, how are we doing today? Doing well, doing good. The energy is high indeed, I would say. I mean, uh, mm. riff energy keeps flowing. Uh, fall is coming, uh, at least here in, in, in the way north. How is uh, Amsterdam now? Is it still like a hot swamp or uh, is it uh, moving towards the, the fresh autumn air? It's definitely more fresh. Uh, started raining. There was a period of uh, almost 40 degrees uh, heat waves, which seems very far away now. Yeah. Uh, but it's sunny. It's uh, quite nice. But I'm indoors. I've uh, closed the windows and I've locked the door because for the coming hour we're recording yeah. it for Riffs, the only podcast about Riffs. Lock up the wolves, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And today I'm, I'm curious uh, of what riff you brought. But uh, for me, I, I am really, <laughs> I'm really on the verge of uh, riftdom, on the very edge. Ooh, uh, so it will be. A, I, I'm looking forward to discussing the riff that I brought, uh, whether you can call it a riff or not. Um, yeah, that's yes. nice. But that's not now because I know that you want to start. Yeah, uh, unless you have something to interject before. Yeah, not really. I don't have a like a history lesson this time <laughs> to begin the episode or anything <laughs> like that. But uh, I did enjoy that one. I got some nice feedback also for Again It For History. Apparently oh, yeah. that, that was entertaining. So well, that's good. That's good. Because <laughs> normally we try and kick off the episodes really quickly here. Because, I mean, some pods I listen to, they, they linger maybe a little bit too long in the beginning. Mm. But at the same time, you know, you've got to get to... You gotta get the, the, the pulse up, right? You gotta get going, especially if you wanna hit it hard with some riffs uh, right yes. out of the gate, which is my plan today <laughs> to uh, get out the gate. And uh, I did that little Opeth intro because fall is coming, and I was thinking about the first, very first episode with the more that we did. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And the, the sigh of summer. Which I had no idea what it was. <laughs> yeah. Which <laughs> I. In hindsight, that's what the first thing everyone will hear in this podcast is me not knowing which riff it is, <laughs> yeah, which actually. feels like a great start. Yeah, I don't know, man. The thing is, I, I w- w- looked through, I try and not do it too much, but I looked through some stats and I was happy to see that almost every single episode, the, the, um, the playing time, the common playing time is the whole episode, which means oh, most yeah. people listen to the whole episode, which is great. I mean, most people don't stop it. Oh, that's super nice. Continue? Uh, no, like, yeah, they, they listen the whole uh, duration, but that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. I've also been ha- happy the last few uh, weeks or the last month seeing that our listener stats are climbing exponentially. I think there, it's really going faster and faster. I don't know what it, yeah. uh, uh, what we can take away from that. I'm, ju- I'm just playing it calm, but uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I think this uh, podcast game is a lot about... Uh, you know, having the duration, the staying power. Yeah. Just uh, endurance. Keep, keep endurance, that's the word. Just keep on doing it, I think, is this key to, to achieve any listeners, to build any listener base, and also to build, uh, like, a content, you know. You need content oh, yeah. to be a pod. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> those earliest episodes, I can see that they, they suffer from shorter uh, playing times. So I guess we've gotten better or, you know, 
I don't know. Maybe it's because the first episode they check it out and they realize a riff show is not for me. I have no clue, but we might later no. do like this introductory episode zero as soon as we can fathom or as soon as we can grasp what should be in it, right? Yeah, but I think that we, there's something about the first episode because we we do launch the question of what is a riff. We and do. I think we're yeah still trying to answer that, of course. But and today. Uh, I will really be on the verge. We'll see what you think if I if I get the pass or if I have to redo <laughs> my homework. <laughs> no, man. I think we're all about stretching what the riff is, right? I've been talking to people. I've been there are some guests now in in the talks to to join the show, and I feel that most of them mm. actually get this idea that uh, the search for the perfect riff is never going to end. It is about the journey, and it is about yep. kind of looking at. Uh, riff from a very wide perspective and from a different perspective definitely that said today's riff is very clearly a riff for from my end yeah. that is so um, yeah. and again i i kind of uh, i dreamt myself back to episode one and uh, the, the opening line of still life by opeth is uh, the sigh of summer upon my return so i guess this is the sigh of summer <laughs> upon our return right i'm not gonna play opeth exactly. but anyway <laughs> They, they always Back from the summer holiday, gain it for riffs. All yeah. right, take it away, Jonathan. Yeah, I will, I will. There we go. Go! It's not so hard for me to guess this one. Uh, it's uh, Slaughter of the Soul at the gates. That is true, at the gates. So coming out mm. of the gate, as I said before, <laughs> with at the gates and uh, with their not last album, but for a long time it was their last album, entitled Slaughter of the Soul, just like the song, right? And uh, oh, yeah, exactly. A couple of weeks back, we did uh, a proper dive into Stockholm death metal, and I thought, you know, why not give the West Coast some love too? With this riff, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like this uh, this whole riff uh, riff uh, fiesta that uh, the song starts up with. Uh, there's some really good stuff there. Uh, I remember hearing it the first time, and I have al already heard like the Haunted and uh, the Bjorle Brothers later releases, and uh, uh, but I heard that there was this mythical older death metal band from the west coast of Sweden uh, and I just had to check it out and I was blown away by this song with the vocal delivery of uh, Tompa Tom. Lindberg, right? Yeah, Thomas Lindberg, Tompa Lindberg. Yeah. They're always Tompa and Robban and 
mycket aren't yeah, they? Like they're, they're using they, this... they work too much in inre hamnen in Göteborg yeah. then you get all these uh, weird exactly. names exactly you're yeah. right you're on the money there with the harbor because uh, with these abbreviations uh, in Liverpool they did that as well Macca you know Macca <laughs> McCartney from a couple of weeks back yeah. and they abbreviate every name and Gothenburg is also this harbor right so they do these abbreviations. Tom yeah. Palinberg on that one, on the riff guitar. Anders Björler on the other one. Uh, Martin Larsson, is it? I always forget his name because it's so common. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure. I mean, on... Yeah, Martin, I think. Martin Johansson, maybe. Really yeah. common name. Yeah, super common. So he, he keeps being the kind of, uh, I guess, uh, anonymous member, in a sense, in the band. And I think he's still in the band, unlike Anders Björler, who has quit... Uh, all of his bands at least three times. <laughs> you know, yeah. In that sense, he's the Gary Moore of Gothenburg. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Moore of Gothenburg. Yeah, because he quits the bands. You know, he gets other projects. He he loses uh, loses the passion, I guess, in 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 uh, in um, from time to time. Which means he has passion to begin with. So that's at least something good. And then on the bass, his brother Jonas Björler, also a mm. big riff writer, and apparently he writes all the groovy shit. And he's like, he's very into traditional groovy metal like Rainbow and such. And then we have uh, Thomas Lindberg as mentioned on vocals and on uh, the drums, Adrian Erlansson. Uh, oh yeah, that's the of band, Cradle right? of Filth fame later yeah. on. So you already alluded a little bit to it, but uh, you, your history with At The Gates, do you remember when? Yeah, like kind of when did you? Uh, when I was, uh, maybe when I around I was 18, 19, something like this. Uh, when I started listening to more heavier stuff i mean really like uh, i've already listened to metallica and pantera which is arguably also quite heavy but uh, in a way i mean there is something bluesy still about those bands especially pantera i think so it's more like it's a bit more um uh accessible while there is almost nothing it's <laughs> there's no blues <laughs> about yeah, I mean, this band Maybe this uh, like uh, rock roots in Pantera, for example. They have these rocky grooves, yeah. but still, I mean, as said, uh, Anders uh, Jonas Björler writes some like this riff is slightly bluesy, right? It has that kind of '70s vibe to it, but of course, I'm down in B as well, which is an extremely low tuning, maybe too low for comfort, really. <laughs> But kind of fat. Ah, something like that. <laughs> I, I also know uh, a bit about this song. Uh, but it is, yeah, there is some, some degree, but it's still like more, way more brutal. Uh, yeah. But I remember I, I found the, the record and... Um, yeah, well, back then, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think that there was like a Petri on, on the Swedish radio. There was a fantastic program called Petri Live, which uh, the program three, it's the third channel of the um, public radio. And they used to have every weekday night, except for Friday, I think. So Monday th through Thursday, there were live sessions. Um, yeah. All kinds of bands. And I think the bands, and I think that um, uh, The Haunted had. 
uh, a live session uh, mm. or uh, like a gig that they recorded. So they with like really, really well recorded. Yeah. So I was listening to that and they were talking about At The Gates uh, and like their history. I was like, At The Gates, At The Gates. Okay, I had to check that out. And I went to the store on Gamla Bogatan, which we have talked about before, and I picked up the record. Uh, but first I was a bit, okay, it's a... Uh, it's a really ugly looking record. <laughs> yeah. Like all the records look extremely ugly, dirty. Uh, the front covers, but but I bought it, and as I was, as I was, you know, as I went home, uh, the long way to Ekerö, uh, one and a half hours, I think it took that day. I was reading the liner notes and um, you know all the lyrics as you did back then in the CD case. Uh, and then when I c- came home, no one was home, so I put it on the main stereo, and almost <laughs> immediately my father came home and he just looked at me sitting listening to this like brutal uh, death metal. He was like, "Yeah, I can see why you like this." <laughs> he went to his room. <laughs> he said, "I can see, right?" He was open. I, I can it. see why you like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the good angle, I think, to to approach it. Like, I can see why you like this, unlike. Uh, like kind of pretending not to understand because you can understand mm-hmm. you know why why the kids like what they like i think it's understandable and i mean at the gates they have a bit of an ugly sound though like the first song i heard was capture of sin because i was big into slayer when i was 13 14 around that time so i heard their cover of capture of sin and i felt like oh this is too hard <laughs> this is too ugly like uh, that song is already fast and 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 kind of ugly and now they down to unit B and Tom Palimber has his characteristic. That's how he sounds. Under a seven sun, we shall live yeah. as one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this kind of. It is, it is quite uh, extreme, but they have some beautiful sides also, which I, I think. Um, uh, because there are some like hard contrasts on this album. Uh, sure and I think maybe on their other albums also. There's not really. A dynamic. There's a, there's a definitely a dynamic over the whole record, uh, but within the songs, it's like either full on or like uh, very uh, more relaxed. So I have uh, this small thing that I would like to play just because I'm on nice. the nice. acoustic today. So I think that's maybe fitting, if you allow me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, uh, you know which song that is? Beautiful, it's Into the Dead Sky, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, and I, I was happy that you brought it out, because I, when you started talking about the contrast, I, I immediately thought, oh shit, I should have taught myself that one, you know, Into the Dead Sky, because it does stand mm. out, and I think maybe that's like really metal in a sense. I think uh, that was mentioned by Mike of Opeth once, that in, 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 in the way he sees metal, there should be a ballad on there. Been listening mm. to bands such as Judas Priest with uh, classics like Dreamer, Deceiver, and uh, to a certain extent, uh, Victim of Changes, and, and so forth. So I, yeah. I think, for me too, it's really a part of metal. And when I hear a metal album with zero ballads, I'm slightly bummed. Like, what's your view on this? 
on there. Ballads. Um, <laughs> ballads. <laughs> I uh, no, I, it's it can be okay, but I like the the contrast. Like I have some contrast, some dynamic on the record. So you know, like um, I think maybe the first time I was really like uh, shocked uh, by this kind of um, this very harsh contrast. And it's not entirely true, but uh, you know, when you start listening to things uh, like Black Sabbath, is my uh, was my. Um, uh, example like when you when you listen to Sabbath Bloody Sabbath and you had you have Sabbath Bloody Sabbath and a National Acrobat which do have like uh, lighter parts yeah. in them very quite dynamic but then comes this super rough uh, cut to fluff yeah uh, it's a very cutesy uh, <laughs> yeah. very cutesy song and uh, uh, but it helps to kind of uh, bring your mind at ease and then you know Sabracadabra just jumps out of the gate and just kills you, you know, being super heavy. Yeah. Uh, so I think that really works. And um, I love the transition from fluff to Sabracadabra. Uh, I think that mm. transition is great. And I mean, Sabracadabra is not the heaviest song on the album. It's more like kind of a rock and roll. Mm. Coming in after fluff, which is basically like... I don't know the song, but you know it's plucked uh, major chords. So I think that's really a, an example of light and shade. And, and uh, Tony has mentioned this several times. Like to get the heavy parts to be heavy, you gotta have the the light side too. You know, if you just yeah, stay heavy, th- heavy, heavy, it doesn't feel heavy after a while. And again, that's my problem mm. with bands such as Sleep. It's just heavy, heavy, heavy. In a while, for me, it's not heavy anymore. Yeah, but I think it's uh, no exactly. But it's also maybe even harder to listen to very brutal bands uh, only being brutal. You know, yeah. like the whole record just being extremely uh, abrasive and hard on your eardrums, which is cool. But I mean, yeah. when you bring it down a notch, you can really. Uh, uh, I mean, you can achieve much like with a very small, um, uh, small change in uh you can achieve a lot like i'm thinking about now but nasum for instance who had uh, this grindcore band from yeah. sweden amazing band. Uh, maybe we talked about them before um but they had uh they had very fast and short songs uh that was over like in under a minute and the records had like 40 songs on them and, but then they had this kind of uh, mid-tempo chug fests like uh, refuse resist and uh, if you can think about the other one maybe that i'm um, uh, uh, refuse you mean inhale exhale right refuse inhale exhale oh, refuse resist that's uh, sepultura yeah sepultura Which we will return to Brazil. we will return to those brazilian um, guys for sure yeah the, yeah but uh, let's say um inhale exhale, inhale, exhale. songs like yeah. uh, storm shield which was clearly like uh, melodic and uh, he was also a fan of kent actually Swedish alternative pop band, uh, Miesko, yeah. uh, R.I.P. Miesko, um, frontman of Nasum, was big on Kent. So I think he had this melodic sensibility and had he had the ability to uh, apply it to grindcore mm. with, without switching genres. And I love when that happens, when you know when you can bring in other stuff into your music uh, without necessarily aping another genre, just bring in a flavor mm. of it, right? It's like cooking, mm. you know? You just add a little <laughs> bit of that spice. See what happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah. think uh, although if we go back to um, at the gates sure. and into a dead sky, which is yeah, 
standout track. Uh, I think there's one more that is uh, has a bit of uh, acoustic on it as well. Yeah, they throw uh, it in Montreal. here and there, um, usually for a short duration, like in Under a Serpent mm. Sun. Uh, it's a short one. Yeah. And then they have the kind of uh, the ending song, The Flames of the End, which is uh, not even by the band. It's by Anders Björler, and he was kind of getting into movie soundtrack, and that song is mm-hmm. meant to be like a zombie apocalypse uh, soundtrack, uh, Romeo style. Okay. Uh, his, his name is okay. Romeo, right? R- George A. Romeo. Uh, Romero, George Romero. A. Romero, yeah. uh, made uh, maker of or director of uh, Night of the Living Dead, uh, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, and yeah. uh, perhaps a couple of more dead films. Uh, he brought the zombie uh, to the mainstream consciousness yeah. uh, with Night of the Living Dead. And I think first time Anders quit the band, he quit to study and become like a film music composer, which maybe didn't really mm. work out. I'm not sure how he makes his dough these days, um, but uh, probably not by making film scores. That's like kind of a mm. dream job, at least for me, it's always been. And uh, maybe it's slightly unachievable. That's the vibe I, I feel around making movie score. Movie. Yeah, it's maybe even uh, harder than being a musician, especially like going from being a very successful musician uh, with bands like At The Gates and The Haunted yeah. uh, to actually you know, touring bands that make money yeah. uh, to, to leave that and uh, start up again. I mean, that's a quite brave choice. Yeah. Even, I mean, I, I, I think that Gain It For Riffs applauds these kind of things, even though it doesn't pan, always pan out, but uh, to t- take a step, you know, like take yeah. a leap of faith, that's always to be applauded, I think. It is, it is. I guess, you know, to go back when I first heard this, uh, I bought the album, I think it was on sale. So I bought it fairly cheaply and it was still maybe a bit hard edge for me. I was uh, 14 at the time. And in mm-hmm. uh, in my um, in my school, we had this yearly marathon, which was, you know, five, 5.5 kilometers of running. And I, uh, at these, in these times, I still used the uh, cassette recorders. I recorded my CDs onto cassette to be able to listen to them on the run or uh, while, you know, moving about and I had this cassette with on one side it was um, Metallica Load I think or Kill em All <laughs> and on the other yeah. side I put uh, <laughs> wait 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 <laughs> you have to remember which one was it it's quite a difference <laughs> ah, shit I think maybe it was like this Load took up one of the sides uh, which was it was yeah. a C60 and then on the other side I had space for both Kill em All and Slaughter of the Soul because Slaughter of the Soul is a short album ah. it's like h- half an hour or so so eight minutes not, yeah so Maybe not all of load because that's eighty minutes, so sixty minutes of that, and then maybe not all of Kill 'Em All. Like maybe perhaps skipped a couple of songs, but that was like my running cassette, and that's how yep. I got into it because then you could feel the energy. For example, in the opening tune of this album, "Blinded by Fear," you have the. <laughs> that song and it has mm. a little bit of that slayer thing that i was into but also this nordic type melody right troll we're getting back in a troll territory with yeah it... sounds totally not slayer and totally not entombed right it's another no, but it's it sounds like the it's really the west coast uh, i think this uh this song is really like really close to in flames i would say yeah, it's and, in, uh, definitely in that territory, and they're all from this kind of uh, middle-class, uh, slightly rich suburb, Bildal. Mm-hmm. Bildal. Oh, I'm really? Not sure if, yeah, I'm not okay. sure if everyone is from the same exact 
a suburb, but they did rehearse. Like there was a huge mix of bands. They played in each other's bands, and even Anders Fridén from In Flames was was actually the singer in, I think, Haunted or At the Gates for like a okay. demo. I think in Haunted for a demo, and he was the singer in Dark Tranquility, and the singer of Dark Tranquility, Mika Stanne, was the singer in In Flames, and then they kind of switched, <laughs> you know. So, and they, they were these were all kind of rich kids too, you know. They didn't have oh, really. They didn't strike from below, so to speak. They had all okay, these so, garages so, so, and so, you know, rich parents that could help them drive around their speakers. Oh, yeah. But that's interesting. I, I, I don't know so much about the history there, but I, I would have imagined they, like... I, well, I can see now that maybe those who worked in the Inre Hamnan, the Inner Harbor, which is <laughs> like, if you know Swedish, uh, this is a, there is a fantastic documentary, classic. If you're from Gothenburg, you've probably seen it. Like, you see it every day. Because uh, it's so good, <laughs> but it's a, it's about Inner Harbor and the life there. Um, oh, right. Very I good. It, I haven't it seen reminds it. maybe of uh, uh, The Wire season two when they're also in the harbor, but in in Boston, Massachusetts, Massachusetts instead, and uh, doing crime. But yeah. in uh, Gothenburg, they only work and drink beer <laughs> and snooze. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> snooze. A lot of. Well, snooze. I would say, oh uh, uh, yeah, I would guess that uh, those who worked in Inderhamnen they became mustache and bands like this. Probably, Maybe. probably, yeah. And I think. And uh, then the the stiff the stiff upper middle class they became at the gates and the haunted. Yeah, and you can it's feel. Like, that's I mean, generalizing <laughs> immediately. Social <laughs> generalization, really, gain yeah. for social generalizations. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I mean, I think I got into them uh, easily when I was running with this, and I could feel like it has the same energy comparable to bands such as Iron Maiden, but maybe a little mm. bit more. Um, industrial sounding and heavy sounding this album slaughter the soul was heavily inspired by master puppets i do believe in terms of sound yeah it was supposed to be mm. very very tight and kind of machine-like and the thing is that in these days it was still kind of rough and early this album was released in 95 i do believe i'm gonna double check that yeah 95 it could be 94 yeah. as well right it's 95 95 sure. yeah yeah, in November 95. So it was recorded in 95 in Gothenburg. And they, in these days, they still didn't have like um, too much uh, abilities of editing. So most of this album is cut, if not all, is cut completely live on the drum side and then probably overdubbing the strings and, and vocals afterwards. But they had to work hard yeah. and they were kids at this point. I think the oldest guy in the studio was 25, uh, which was the Fredrik Nordström producer. And all the other guys were, you know, like early 20s so basically kids okay. and didn't have any money at all and um, i remember still like Ar adrian the drummer had um he had to do like 29 takes of blinded by fear to really nail <laughs> it really get it tightly uh, on tape and then after yeah. nailing it he was like um, completely out of energy like completely out of energy and also out of money so he traded his ride symbol for pizza <laughs> you know <laughs> if I give you my ride symbol, because that was the last song to cut. Uh, I'll give you my ride symbol so I can at least have some food. So in that sense, they were not no longer rich kids. Maybe they didn't want to call their parents for food. Uh, you know, They still like their fourth, yeah. fourth or fifth album, yeah. so they had been at it for a bit at this point. It reminds me of a story from Gothenburg, some friends of mine that had this... Uh, made a deal uh, a guy he had a car but he didn't want to pay for the parking ticket so he uh, sold the car to his friend for like a thousand thousand swedish kroner as kind of uh, you know like yeah he can have it for a while and then when i can afford a parking lot i'll take it back and then uh, <laughs> the next night 
other guy who bought the car, he sold the car for a kebab pizza <laughs> because he was hungry. <laughs> so that must have been a shitty car, eh? <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. But uh, yeah, it seems like a Gothenburgian thing to do, this trade trade valuable things for pizza. <laughs> for pizza and kebab. The tradesmen, and they're also hungry, eh? <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just to get back on, on, on the riff a little bit here, it's... Uh, Again, I'm down-tuned to B. So. And um, a lot of distortion has to be applied. And uh, the way it starts is... Uh, that riff. And uh, mm. it's very like a good example of this pedal note riffage, right? Very pedally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you always have the running in the background so you get kind of the melody and the riff in the same um, the same uh, in the same riff in the same guitar so you can double them up and get this hard punch and they utilize a lot of the classic thrash beat you know the skank beat so the the album really pushes itself forward and it's short enough around half an hour so it's kind of a sweet listen not that i listen to it almost any thing any any time these days you know yeah uh, i know i mean i the, the, i think when i got it i listened to it quite a lot but i think i was at the end i was quite fed up with uh with the sound of the album uh, this is like as maybe like a criticism i already felt there but uh, uh somehow i don't think it's it's a it hasn't aged that well uh, I don't know if uh, you agree, but there's. Uh, and I wanted to ask also, like, if you're listening to this album in your studio monitors, mm-hmm. um, do you hear the cuts in between, and uh, or is it like really well uh, produced in that regard? I would say for their age and so on, it's very well produced. Fredrik Nordström okay. was, is is kind of this entrepreneur, and he started with low budget as well. He was stealing stuff from a local uh, building site, you know. Every okay. day when he walked to his studio, um, uh, what is his studio's name? Fredman Studios. Uh, mm-hmm. he, uh, he passed this building site and he would pick up a few planks, maybe a bucket of paint and so on. You know, small, <laughs> small thievery on the way there to just kind of build his That's studio it. up. And he's still at it. And he's still like kind of, uh, I have a few Danish friends in a band called Jutten. It's a cool band. Uh, kind mm. of melodic. <laughs> melodic. Cool band. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool band. It's kind of me- melodic. Okay. Um, very melodic metal, uh, but mm. with a, a hard-edged and a bit of an 80s vibe. And they utilized his services. They went to Gothenburg to mix with him. They're quite expensively. I think they paid like 4,000, 5,000 euros for mixing an yeah. album with him. So he's still at it. And he's always been like a talent, uh, especially in those days. Like nothing sounded as good as his stuff. Uh, if you look at maybe 99 to 2009, that era. And this was still yeah. the early days. So, I mean, to answer your question, um, sure, it sounds a bit uh, kind of compressed and uh, maybe not so professional, but it still sounds like it's produced well. It's cut well. Mm. And uh, I went like I went back to Stockholm when I got tired of Gothenburg metal. That's when I went back to Entombed, uh, Wolverine Blues, Clandestine, like we discussed before. And and yeah. uh, maybe that's, those sounds are quite different, I think. Like if you have never heard any Swedish metal or death metal maybe they sound the same but uh, for me they're i don't huge difference. i don't think so i think you can you and anyone could hear the difference i mean the, this is really like you know uh, bah, 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 
Bop, yeah. Bop. And uh, yeah, there is another groove to Entombed. I'm not saying this isn't uh, uh, this isn't something. Uh, uh, there's something really nice going on also here, and I think uh, main difference is the. And I think I think maybe that the, the if, how some bands did it more than others, but the introduction of folk melody and like in yeah. flames or um, yeah, so and many it, and notes here. And here you have it a little bit, uh, I think just in the tones that they've chosen somehow, I, f- I feel that there is this uh, um, via mood, uh, the, sw- the Swedish... Um, sadness, uh, let's say. Sad- oh, sadness, yeah, sure. Kind of, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, just a shit ton of notes, if you listen to the verse riff. Like... <laughs> You know, it's just a flurry of notes, all minor or yep. harmonic minor. And I feel like maybe, now I'm completely guessing, but maybe like Entombed and such, it feels like they wrote it together in, in the rehearsal space. You know, they got together and they riffed and they came up with this slightly more brutal and simplistic riffage. Whereas this feels like Anders Björder surely was sitting in his boy room, you know, trying yeah. to get as many notes as possible in there. Like... Uh, you know, he's just trying to improve uh, or impress maybe his his bandmates with these uh, intricate riffing, and uh, to a certain extent, they maybe they lose a bit of power compared to Stockholm Death Metal. <laughs> what would you say? Well, really interesting that you mentioned this because I was I was thinking uh, lately or yesterday about like how you actually write a riff because I was writing a riff on the computer on <laughs> in our favorite program. Uh, Guitar Pro, oh, awesome and, program. Uh, Been using it for and twenty the, years. The, the the thing with writing in Guitar Pro is that you okay, you can sit with your guitar and then you transcribe it. But I kind of <laughs> kind of get bored of that, so I'm just writing in the program as I go, uh, which creates <laughs> a kind of music that you don't make uh, when you play the guitar. I mean, I mean, I've made some of my favorite riffs. In this program, because they come, become really weird and uh, can have notes coming from like uh, unexpected places, and you can really like make these huge jumps on the neck. Because I mean, why not? It's in the computer; it's easy. Um, but uh, it was also checking a video by Ola England yesterday, where he uh, two-year-old video where he talks about how to write cool metal riffs, and he just mentions that also that if you play, uh, if you're jamming with your drummer with a band you uh, end up with more simple maybe more effective riffs uh, than yeah. you do on your own when you really like you know you really b- go crazy uh, with notes and as you mentioned so there is this difference also and i think you're right that anders Bjorle wrote this alone in his uh, room and that entombed and nick anderson i mean this also nick anderson wrote yeah most of the material and he's quite a simple guy in the in writing music with in the in the best way possible of course yeah um, so th- there's those differences probably didn't finish it alone because it's credited to Björler Björler slash at the gates music so i guess him and Anders him and Jonas traded riffs and then the mm. band got together to arrange it but i still think like the, maybe the dynamic with these twins as they are is also that they try and impress each other with the cooler riffs, and if someone writes a really yeah, fast riff... that's good. Yeah, that's really good, and I like that kind of competition. I had that in one band with uh, Juha, that if he wrote a mm-hmm. massive riff, I had to write something as massive, <laughs> you know? 
and you get this healthy competition yeah. going on and in between twins probably works and uh, yeah i think uh, this is a classic album banger tv canadian uh, kind of yeah one of the bigger metal channels out there they made a uh, full documentary on at the gates so you there you can get the story of the band and how they kind of disbanded after this album because of problems within the band and rough touring and mm. shit tons of alcohol as you can see by the band photo they have this uh, band photo when they're just posing with a table full of beer cans and uh, i haven't hard seen liquor. that one i have to <laughs> have to have a look maybe we can we can drop that in our instagram later also yeah and the, the uh, twins look terribly autistic in the photo giving the middle finger and <laughs> <laughs> with the appropriate <laughs> with the appropriate center parting metal hair yeah oh no and thomas limbe okay. looks like uh, chris barnes with uh, dreadlocks and beard you know it's uh it's it's a look and then if we get into the lyrics on the album uh, he seems very inspired by luke reinhardt's book the dice yeah released in uh, 71 uh, coincidentally i read this book again in gotland in hamra in your um, countryside residence and i read it because of at the gates and uh, I quite enjoyed the book. I think I was in the same age as those guys were when they when they read it. And uh, it's kind of this uh, nihilistic uh, kind of teenage angsty lyrics, but uh, not bad, not that bad. You know, it's okay written. I think Thomas Limbay has something to say, even though it's uh, clearly a little bit uh, puberty flavored. Do you have anything to add yeah. on 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 the lyrical side of things in Atticates? Uh I yeah I I had a um <laughs> I had a, my first website um which I should try to dig up again but I think it's got lost I mean most things they uh that are older than yeah now I would say 25 years they get lost in the uh within like uh, uh pop-ups and uh, banner uh, commercial banners when uh, a website shuts down sort of and I had this website, uh, <laughs> which was called Dark Ulle, of course, and it uh, catered to all things metal. Uh, it had these animations of me, like stretching my fingers in, into like claws on the front uh, on the front page, and then it also had this secret: if you hovered your the mouse pointer over uh, a pentagram. The pentagram changed slowly, I think, or maybe instantly, <laughs> uh, to the to lyrics from "Slaughter of the Soul," and uh, I think it was uh, what was it? Of the, yeah, uh, "Slaughter of the Soul," suicidal final art. Children born of sin tear your soul apart, uh, which I at the time thought was amazing. Uh, nowadays, uh, it's it's functional. Yeah, I would say. Function. That's my take. <laughs> I loved it once. Uh, I think it's okay now. Yeah, I think it's from the perspective of Thomas Lindberg being maybe brought up in a middle-class home and he's very into alcohol at this time and maybe he still is. I'm not going to dive too deep into his habits there, but uh, mm. you can feel that he's kind of in this mind frame of a quite common mind frame of a young male, I guess, that is kind of against the system, you know, the, the oppressive system and uh, mm -hmm. everyone is... Uh, Everyone is suffering because of this uh, safe society. We're becoming suicide nation is another song, you know. Like, and it's about some kind of suicide cult that is rebelling against society by killing themselves. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a very edgy start of the song with this cocking of a gun. Cocking of a shotgun, yeah. And how is that riff? Yeah. It's a cool riff too. <laughs> yeah. 
see if I can remember it. That's more entombed, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit more groovy. True. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, that's about it for At The Gates this time. Uh, so of course, plenty more to say. You can check out The Banger. Uh, if you're more in interested in more info, The Banger TV documentary is pretty good. Uh, I don't know how involved the band was, but uh, Anders Björle likes film, so maybe a little bit. And uh, <laughs> Interesting. And you can see that they were kind I, of... I watched... you know, I did. I did watch some uh, like interviews with uh, the Biola brothers, and they. I, I don't know. They don't come up come off as very likable. No. Uh, but in the end, does it really matter if you make okay music? Uh, okay music. If you make great music, you can behave yeah. as you want. Uh, yeah. Almost. Almost. Not as Carl Logan, of course. He should die. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. Carl Logan right. from least, uh, Man of uh, War. He should at least yeah. be, ke- be kept somewhere. He should be kept somewhere at least. <laughs> yeah, he, he like can play prison. guitar by himself. Perfect in, in a cell. But yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Ola Englund also because he was a friend of mine in, in my teenage years and uh, played with his singer in, and uh, yeah, we shared some band members and he's he's uh, later become like part of this Gothenburg scene. He's in the Haunted now playing with them and uh, mm. now it's just Anders, no, it's just Jonas Björder again. Anders quit for the sixth time or something like that and uh, yeah. um, he has also played bass with At The Gates because Jonas couldn't make it to Australia, some family affair. So now we, I've got this personal connection to to that scene, but it's so mu- mm. like it's another scene now. It's so much later. They did a couple of albums, like reunion albums. So the good thing is that I got to see them live, um, which was cool. Oh yeah. And uh, but I didn't get into the new stuff. It felt like the train has left my station, you know, which happens. Yeah. I mentioned it before in the show that sometimes you just gotta let a band go. You can you can't start disliking the band just because you're not aboard anymore. Just you mm. let them go. You let them fly out on their own, and they are surely making okay money playing at the gates. To the great demise uh, of, uh, to the great demise of what's his name, uh, the singer of Haunted, uh, Peter Dolving. Yeah, yeah, he's had this major clinch with the twins, and I honestly don't mm. know who's wrong there. Maybe it's a battle between ADHD and Aspergers. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I remember. Just it's just a nice, very nice memory. I went to uh, the shrine. This metal club in Stockholm and I got to see the closest thing to At The Gates. It was The Haunted headlining and then it was Skitsystem as a opening band. And Skitsystem was this uh, punk uh, hardcore punk band uh, fronted by Tompa Lindberg and then I was standing uh, when they played I was standing uh, front row holding his shoe the whole gig and headbanging into the monitor and I think I got <laughs> the worst case of tinnitus I ever had after that uh, and and also uh, during the haunted I got punched in the eye yeah but you know random randomly by someone yeah and my I had this uh, lens back then and it flew out uh, the contact lens uh, but the opening opening band was Nasum, so that was also very nice. It was mm. the first time I saw them, I think, maybe the second time even. And oh. uh, that was a fantastic gig with some painful memories. Very metal night, right? And uh, you know, and uh, you got a little bit of uh, battle going on there, <laughs> losing your yeah. eyesight and and uh, yeah, it was a great, great club, <laughs> numbing all yeah, the yeah. senses. <laughs> it, it was a fantastic club. I mean, if you were in, uh, if you were around uh, the. At that time, the shrine was really where it was at with uh, yeah. gigs every every Friday. I think uh, a lot of stuff happening, and three floors: one for like the hard rock, one for 
metal and one in the basement for black and death which was like a very small room where people just stood against the walls drinking beer in silence listening to very loud death metal <laughs> yeah always in silence right they don't have any yeah skills or wills to uh, engage in social activities i think and uh, yeah when i saw those documentaries with this band i realized also that uh, they were not uh, economically doing that well it reminded me more of my own gigs than uh, what i thought they would be like and at that age i th- always thought that if okay. you released a few cds you were you were famous like you were a big band coming in with a helicopter or a limo but this was clearly not the case they had a, like a rough <laughs> rough time on the road really and i could see why they disbanded because shit it wasn't easy it just wasn't easy to be to be in a metal band in the 90s i think a small metal fairly small metal band from sweden so uh, to yeah. wrap it up, I'll just uh, play the riff again, and then we'll head on to something completely different, I imagine. Mm, yeah, 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 maybe, maybe. <laughs> Thank you very much, John, for bringing up Thanks. At the Gates, Slaughter of the Soul. All right, so we move on to uh, quite a different territory, but I think there might be some loose connection somehow. Hmm. Exciting. All right. <laughs> Here we go, here we go. One of my absolute favorite songs, actually, ever. This is uh, uh, Nick Drake. Uh, the song is called Day is Done from his first yes. uh, full-length album, Five Leaves Left, which w- I was actually gifted this album by your brother. Do you know that? 
No, no, I didn't. No, when I when I turned 15. Ah. Uh, no, 16, I, maybe. Or maybe even fucking 15. <laughs> I don't remember. what's Because I'm born late and, you know, you start, uh, yeah, 15, 16. So I started the high I think, school. I think 15. you're like 27 now or something like this. You're born very late. <laughs> 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 hey, that's, that's an amazing gift. That's an amazing gift. Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah, it was an amazing gift. And, he, you know, because I was getting into Opeth and stuff. And he was like, yeah, check this mm. out. Like, this is the, this is the original shit. And he, he, he gifted me five leaves left. And I remember listening to it, as you did with Slaughter the Soul, like in the main stereo of my house, like in the living oh, room, yeah. my, my dad's system. And, it was, mm. and it started off with um, Time Has Told Me, which is this country flavor. And I was like, okay, interesting, interesting. Because I was more into metal sounding stuff. And then comes yeah. uh, The River Man. And I was really like, wow, this is something. Uh, when the Riverman comes, it's this mysterious uh, vibe to it and beautiful acoustic passages. And uh, my mm. maybe my favorite song of his to date is Day Is Done. The one you yeah. played, it's um, super bleak. It has this uh, uh, fitting um, bleakness in, in the lyrical content and also to a certain extent the musical content. So I could see that you have mm -hmm. a, can make a, a yeah, connection. I'm going to play just the... Yeah, uh, I'm going to play the riff a little bit again sure. so we get into the mood. And I'm going to read some of the lyrics. day is done, down to earth then sinks the sun, along with everything that was lost and won, when the day is done. When the day is done, hope so much your race will all be run, then you find you jumped the gun, have to go back where you began when the day is done. When the night is cold, some get by but some get old, just to show life's not made of gold when the night is cold. When the bird has flown, Got no one to call your own. Got no place to call your home when the bird has flown. Yeah, it's beautiful stuff, man. And you can't see it because this is this this is radio, so you can't see it. But I have the hair the hairs on my arms are all standing up <laughs> because it's just uh, it's very nerve. There's a nerve in this song. Really, is a nerve in it, and it's just kind of again. I come back to the word bleak because it describes this kind of bleak existence in a way you know the day is over some won some lost some found a place to sleep some didn't and for some guys the bird has flown which i guess could be the girl that you wanted she's out uh, it's it's a story about loss in a sense or um, it's hard not to think about the life of nick drake when you listen to his music because it's just uh, uh, it turned out very uh, like he had a good start and sure. it turned out really 
bad for him. Um, and uh, maybe to just it did. Yeah, quickly, he uh, grew up in England on the countryside. He was uh, attending private schools and excelling at uh, everything, really, and uh, even at sports, and uh, but especially at music. And music was a big uh, part of his upbringing. Both his parents played the piano, uh, but his mother, Molly, arguably was the one with the most influence on him, and... Uh, she really loved uh, that he and uh, uh, that Nick and uh, his sister was playing uh, music. And later on, uh, he picked up the guitar and he's self-taught, uh, totally learned everything himself, which also like explains all the different tunings on his song, which is uh, sure it's a main issue also moving forward. Um, but he played in a band. Uh, but then uh, kind of struck out on his own and he, uh, after some adventures in France and uh, uh, having like the time of his life, he's being a young guy, he hadn't even finished school, but he was out traveling, meeting people. He had met the Rolling Stones uh, uh, in a chance encounter, played them some songs, but uh, didn't turn out to anything. Uh, but then he met uh, a producer and when he was still in school, he started producing his first album. And uh, I think the, the thing that happened then, after this quite uh, great start, uh, when he started making music, it, it came quite easy. And uh, the first album, uh, he had a friend uh, from the band he used to play in, came in and did uh, string arrangements. Uh, which is, uh, I think, it, 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 actually, just a quick question to you. What do you think about the... Um, the vibe of the record or like the the production of the record because it's not just his guitar it's a lot of other things going on a lot of other things and i think the production is simply stellar it's very good mm. production it's my favorite production of his if we talk about the three full-length albums it, yep. uh, it kind of nails it in a way you know in a sense it's like um, rage against the machines first album not you know <laughs> musically at all or even lyrically <laughs> but in the in the sense that it's perfectly produced for what he's trying to put across, I do believe. Sure. And uh, yeah, when you read the lyrics, uh, when I hear these um, notes, uh, I really like, I get straight into the vibe, which I think is, is the point of production. Like um, maybe you have another view on what production is, but my view is that it's about putting the point across, uh, yeah. help, helping the music to get across. And that album has never faded for me. Anytime I put it on, it's as good as that first time and uh, i love yeah. all the songs on it and they all have different productions too one has piano on it is this super mario bros type piano in um, man <laughs> in the shed is it called that <laughs> man in the shed i, I yeah. remember that you uh i remember now like when you told me the story of having been gifted the album that you were talking a lot about man in the shed yeah i was uh, obsessed about back that then song. it was like my favorite song man in yeah. the shed and uh, I, I thought it was good also, but I think I was more into cello song, which is also a beautiful song. As the, yeah, which has a uh, cello, cello song, of course. Cello uh, song. Which yeah. has a cello on it. Um, Great um, song. This production is so good, and it's just it was the perfect time. Again, credits to your brother for gifting me this album, because it was the perfect time for me to hear it. It was, you know, yeah. just getting into the acoustic side of things, and... Uh, if we're talking about what you said in the very beginning of the episode, is this a riff? I think it is, because it's kind of, in a way, this is also a pedal note riffing, uh, that you have the, you have the 
chords and bass notes and you have the melody uh, played by the same guy um, yeah. at the same time. It was extremely backwards for me to get into, uh, but I think it really helped me evolve my picking uh, abilities. But it, it, he is playing quite advanced guitar picking, and uh, this song actually is tuned in uh, E standard, so it's uh, quite, it's still quite uh, <laughs> easier to approach than many of his other that that have uh, these homegrown uh, tunings. Um, yeah. Some of them are have like open C and open G, but there are some that are just pretty weird. But I think he. He learned everything himself, and he just tuned to what fits what, what he felt was right. Yeah. Um, but this uh, leads me into if I, I'm just gonna continue the history, uh, sure. gain it for history a little bit because um, he recorded his album, and it has had all these kind of different tunings on it. And when they went on the road, his manager and producer, he um, it was the same guy and. Uh, he put him as a front uh, opening act to uh, Fairport Convention, which you might have heard, um, which is it was quite a, a big gig, and uh, he was playing for three thousand people, and um, he only had one guitar, and he, uh, yeah, for some reason they they didn't think it was a good idea to have several guitars with all the tuning, so he was. Play, played a song and got applause. People liked it, and then he retuned the guitar, which took <laughs> like ten minutes. Uh, so in the end, uh, during like a sixty-minute set, he maybe he played six songs with like uh, long pauses in between when he didn't talk, he didn't uh, interact with the audience at all. So it was very awkward and weird. <laughs> and it, it has been described that he he was quite of a, a loner, or he didn't he was. Maybe sociable enough, but he didn't like to be in the limelight in that sure. way. At least not with his own music. Sure. That was a real problem. And it, it became... Music journalists heard about this. And when the album dropped, they only wrote about the man. You know, the, the weird, awkward stage present that he had. And not the album. So it didn't become a hit. It, became, it was really a flop. Uh, and he got so... Uh, he got so sad about this, and he, as you can imagine, you know, like sure. uh, you know, he worked really hard. He thought he knew the songs were good. The producer like loved it. Uh, everyone who heard it in the studio loved it, and it was uh, then it was just hailed with this like the wrong pe for the wrong reason. You know, people wrote wrong, so he got really. I mean, sometimes people don't care about reviews, but he was really like, yeah, you know, he wanted yeah. to be successful at this. He dropped out of uh, college uh, to become uh, uh, a touring artist, a recording artist, and it didn't seem to work out. A really long story short, the next few albums, uh, the next two albums that he cut, uh, uh, Brighter Later and his last, Pink Moon, they had the same fate. Uh, Pink Moon got, uh, in the end, uh, a good review in Rolling Stone, but Rolling Stone magazine, but other than that, it was just more of the same. They, the Nick Drake thought that the music journalist focused on the wrong thing, mm -hmm. and uh, he got more and more sad, and he stopped playing uh, live altogether. Yeah, and then um, yeah, he died uh, very young at twenty six. Yeah, and, he didn't uh, even yeah, reach twenty seven club. Just short 26, of six. Yeah, uh, twenty. Just yeah, short yeah, just of short of a year. <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, they don't know if it was a suicide or if it was uh, overdosing on his uh, medication. But he was, uh, yeah, it, it turned into a very sad affair. Yeah. Um, and of course, later, uh, I mean, it, this is kind of, you hear this. It, it's hard not to hear it when you're listening to his music. I don't know uh, what your feelings about that is. It's, uh, I have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> you know, you opened, yeah, yeah. Up, you opened up a gate here. You know, I was just sitting here and trying to remember all the associations I, I made. But the main one would be like, this is, this is a side of, of music and art history, right? Art history uh, that, yeah. uh, you know, this kind of the, it is the bleak side. It is the sad side of things that you could be this amazing artist with, the, you have the performance down, you have, maybe you have to retune your guitar in between, but those days, everything live was more rough, you know, you could hear big bands tuning out loud in front of the audience, like, yeah. and that kind of stuff. And what I realized when you tell this story anyway, uh, my main feeling is that there is no, there's no justice in art. There's no justice in music. Mm. Not really. Like, you could make the most beautiful stuff and uh, you can be uh, the most interesting guy and the most interesting artist but if you're you have a bit of a stroke of bad luck or if you're not in the right place at the right time you may not be recognized and i mean later mm. on we've seen pink moon in car commercials and we, we all know that yeah. that's the biggest money you can get in music is to be in a car commercial so i yeah. don't know who receives it now maybe some maybe he has some kind of next of kin or maybe just uh the record company gets a shit ton of money. So he's got this kind of post-mortem success. And mm. of course, when we started listening to him, he was long gone at that time. Yeah. But I think it was, uh, I think it was because of that commercial. It was in a Volkswagen uh, commercial it, uh, where you hear Pink Moon, the song by, from the album Pink Moon. Yeah. Nick Drake. And I think that my dad bought um, a collection of the first and second album and uh, I got that and I started listening to it and then I immediately bought all the three records. Yeah. And uh, like, yeah. And I think, honestly, I think it was around the same time I was listening to uh, uh, At The Gates. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah it, no, this was during Dark Ole. This was definitely Dark Ole times. Yeah. I was on that website after just meeting you once or twice and <laughs> I also remember you telling me like, uh, Nick Drake is one of my favorites as of right now. Then I kind of forgot mm. about him, and then your brother gifted me the CD, uh, Five mm. Leaves Left. So yeah, it's just so good. It's one one of the best, one of the best out there. And again, do you think there's any justice in art or in music? Or is yeah, it, yeah, it's a really good. It's a question. raw I game. Think, uh, it's a raw game, isn't it? I think not. Uh, it's uh, all about timing, unfortunately. Uh, but it it helps if you do good stuff, definitely. Sure. But I know there is there is uh, a lot of people that. Or a lot of artists that uh, get uh, get fame uh, without having any good good stuff. So it's more about timing. Uh, <coughs> if you're your interested babies. in this, if you're interested in uh, fame and money, then it's yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter how good you are. It's really like, d did you get picked up? Did you have? Were you lucky? And uh, Nick Drake in another universe, maybe he is uh, still alive and. Super rich and very happy because it's unfortunate that he really latched on to this idea of fame. I think, maybe and uh, yeah. in a way, maybe uh, maybe the at the gates did as well. There's that's why they're still out touring for uh, uh, for with with the same music, you know, like yeah, making mm -hmm. a, a, a token, a new album, but still, uh, you know, they uh, they travel and sell merch. Sure, I mean, that's how you make money. Um, 
but uh, I think I was, uh, um, yeah, no, I think you're right. There, I think it's uh, totally unfair, and I think it's uh, more more sensible and maybe more healthy to think of it that it's not supposed to be fair. Yeah. But that's really hard because we <laughs> we are taught from young age that you have to be if you're fair to others, they will be fair to you. If you're nice to others, they'll be nice to you. Yeah, and it just doesn't seem to. Uh, uh yeah to uh, to be that way but no. yeah then maybe you can embrace that and uh that can be a new leading star yeah i think so and i guess now with picking these these uh, albums lord of the soul and five leaves left i can kind of get back into my youth you know my nihilistic yeah. period and and i guess around this time is also when i realized that all you've been told in kindergarten and little school about uh, fairness and about you know being treated equally and such this is maybe the time when I kind of lost it. And then, of course, you know, you go back and forth. You don't become a nihilist for life and just sit there and stare at the ceiling or stare into nothingness, <laughs> into the void. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you, you kind of readjust this thinking after a while. But I think uh, the concept of fairness, to a large degree, is make-believe. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we were in the, the same age as uh, Nick Drake, around 20, when we we've heard his music for the first time. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there is more similarities between these two artists than uh, I would have thought before talking about it or agree, like before the choice being made. But um, maybe most music are made like by 20 somethings, but just these two bands, I think there have similarities there. Yeah. Bands, uh, these two <laughs> artists. Yeah, sure. Um, but I was thinking, it was, it was, I was thinking a bit um, about his, like, w w where does he exist? You know, like in what kind of place uh, i mentioned fairport convention as uh, this band that he opened for and um fairport convention uh you have that band and it's like a very like english folk tradition uh but a bit more modern uh then at the same time you had pentangle with the standout guitarist bert jansch uh, who i think was a big influence on um um nick drake and i i uh, found this riff that is interesting for many reasons. I, I would like to play it if I'm allowed. Go ahead. You, you can definitely hear uh, some similarities. This was Black Water Side by Bert Jansch from his album Jack Orion. And uh, this one famously became uh, stole, uh, got stolen by Led Zeppelin for their first album as an mm -hmm. instrumental. Uh, <laughs> the, the thieves of music. <laughs> yeah, I think that could be an, a really interesting episode to go into all the, the thefts. Thievery. <laughs> Of uh, the thievery it's of Led idea. Zeppelin, thievery special yeah. maybe for all kinds of riff theory. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm noting that. But there is, uh, I think, there is uh, a kinship uh, in the in the folkiness. Uh, but of course, uh, Bert Jansch he played alone with no. There is like the production is him and his guitar and song. Uh, so there, the, the the tempo varies a lot. You know, like it goes fast and then it goes slow, and it would be interesting to hear. You can hear, uh, actually it's interesting to listen to 
the demo versions of uh, Nick Drake's songs, where he plays alone with his guitar, very primitively recorded, of course. Lo-fi. Uh, have you heard this? I have an album that I love. Um, maybe it's become my favorite next to Five Leaves Left, but they're all good. It's called Family Tree, and it's yep. a ton of demos by him and his sister, I do believe. And yep. uh, you can hear that it's recorded on like squeaky uh, shares in a kitchen. And in one song, the cat comes in like, <laughs> and uh, Nick, Nick starts laughing and beautiful album. I listened a lot to it when I was hiking in uh, the Himalayas, because mm. uh, when you hike in, uh, at least when I did in the Himalayas, it was not like peak tourist season. So you, you rarely saw any other tourists, but along those roads, uh, locals would be wandering, you know, on different errands and such. And I felt uh, if I listened to music that was very loud, I felt awkward saying hello to them because they always say hello. There's always okay. a little, little namaste coming your way. And the namaste is like, yeah, it's a very beautiful way to say hello. It's like, I, recognize, uh, I recognize something like, I recognize the, the warmth of your soul. It means something like that. Mm. Um, so you don't want to be an asshole and walk around listening to Slaughter of the Soul and not being able to <laughs> say hello. <laughs> So long story short, I listened to a family tree all the time because then I could hear oh, them wow. and I could reply to them. And also with those majestic mountain views, it kind of fit in a kind of comfortable way, in a cozy way. So that album is very dear to me and I listen to it a lot, mm. at least a hundred mm. times. Fantastic. Uh, Lasse Tenander, a Swedish uh, singer-songwriter, um, is, a, I would say, a friend of mine. He, uh, he and his wife always, he's uh, in, in his 70s, um, picking God, I would say, using the thumb a lot. Um, uh, plays Swedish, uh, Swedish, makes Swedish songs in Swedish. So for international audience, it might be interested, interesting just for the picking pattern. But Lasse Tenander, he, he means a lot to me because he gave me all his Beatles albums on vinyl, like his originals uh, that he bought when he was young, because <laughs> he said, oh, well, I have them on CDs now. <laughs> so much better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, my dad did that too. He bought all, everything on CD for a while, and now he brings everything back to vinyl again. So, you know, it goes back yeah. and forth. I, I, I still kept, I'm, I'm still keeping them from him, for him if he one day wants them back. But he, uh, he, says, he said once, I think that was very... Uh, very nice that he, he listens to the Beatles maybe when he's like uh, more interested in um, uh, well theoretically interested in like how music is done he listened to these re-releases which has these endless uh, re uh, uh, varieties of recordings from uh, um, from the studio and you know like only the harmonies of uh, certain songs and you know all this stuff that sell in millions but he listens to that when he's like theoretically interested but when he wants to cry he listens to nick drake mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it's uh yeah i could see that and i mean speaking of fame as well this album was recorded in 68 and 69 released in 69 and i think at that time you know the idea of uh, fame within music uh, was uh, maybe really rising you know you had the beatles career yeah. happening and this was about the end about when the americans started getting on board as well with grand funk railroad etc and uh, i think it was just you know that was the idea you know you make uh, you make a record you get a record deal and then you become famous so i really think it um, it must have been feeling slightly it must have been an awkward feeling to not break through with this good material. Yeah. He must have been lost, like, what, what am I doing wrong? And, uh, I mean, that question can still not be answered, or can it? 
no, I mean, it, uh, I don't think he did anything wrong. He had uh, mostly the right people around him, but I think the, the decision to leave him alone on the stage with one guitar that he had to retune, it's just like such a stupid decision mm. that should be, just be very yeah. easily solved, you know, like <laughs> from, Primitive from days. one gig to the other, you know, like, yeah. oh, it didn't work out. Let's fix you some guitars. Like, no, we keep on going. Yeah, uh, I, I have a contrast. I have a contrast to that that I need to drop just to you know to see okay, how, sure. how how live the live arrangements kind of you know became this beast. Like he yeah. he's with one guitar, he has to retune it and everything. And I'm gonna bring up a kind of a diva that I like to bring up when we're talking about guitarists is uh, Steve Perry from Aerosmith. Mm. And, uh, he has shit tons of guitars with him, obviously you know, in different tunings, different kinds of guitars and everything. And uh, his guitar tech has to be super. Um, ready because sometimes he's like he wants he's going to play a song it has uh, let's say an open c tuning and it's played on a telly but then last minute mm. he tells his guitar tech i want to play it on a, on a les paul today and then he has to have a les paul ready <laughs> in that tuning too yeah. so he's traveling with i think about 25 electric guitars and you know contrast that to putting nick drake alone with one single guitar and you realize kind mm. of you know the difference in in preparation the difference in in having the artist ready to perform the show as good as possible. And, and uh, Mr. Perry said, like, I'm not in an Aerosmith cover band. I'm the original, so I want to be able to make spontaneous decisions. And, you know, I want to let's call now and, and so forth. So, I mean, yeah. just, just kind of to, you know, uh, what I'm trying to do is to, to project uh, the very difference in how a live production can be prepared and done to make the artist shine as much, much as possible and enjoy himself as much as possible. Have you, uh, yeah, it's uh, fantastic uh, that you bring this up, um, but also like the difference of, yeah, they, they were kind of, um, not not exactly contemporaries, but I mean, Aerosmith, when they did, did they start early 70s? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know that James Hetfield was a big fan of them and he, he wrote mm. them like this heartfelt letter and all he got back was a, a brochure with merchandise for sale. <laughs> okay. and he said well that, better than I'm nothing not, i'm not gonna be this guy i don't want to be this guy i want metallica to have tightly knit contact with the fans and there we go mm. another metallica reference for you all listeners yeah, second today <laughs> yeah um, but yeah uh, so they're kind of you know representing what uh the the time that we're that we're that uh, nick drake experienced and uh, i think the uh, more common over in the over in America was that artists like James Taylor maybe had a, ba a backing band. You know, on, on record he would be uh, mostly alone with a bit of a backing band as well, but you would really hear the guitar, but live, because of like the sound quality not being so good live on stage, you, you'd put him with the band, make it more of a rock show, you know, like uh, uh, upscale a little bit yeah. uh, to reach out, you know, over the, over the talking crowd. I mean, it's, it must have been super hard with that uh, no monitors, mm -hmm. you know, no nothing for one one guy to be on stage. You know, yeah. I, I can only imagine. It evolved so much again, like the the way of producing a rock show. It evolved so much. Like uh, take Ian Gillan, for example, the lead singer of the most famous lead singer of uh, Deep Purple. He still sings with no monitoring because that's how it was when they started. Okay. <laughs> so no oh, yeah. in ear, no in ear, and no wedges. He sings out into yeah. the PA, and his his uh, monitoring is what we hear in the audience when we watch Deep Purple, mm. and he's always been like that. So, I mean, today a singer without monitoring, I worked in in front of houses, you may know, and uh, yeah. they're not going to accept that. 
you know <laughs> like i can't hear what i'm doing <laughs> uh, so it, it has changed so much like the the mm. the situation of, of performing your music live and maybe nick drake mm. would have been so good live today definitely um definitely i, th I think it, this was a long uh long offshoot actually to make that point that i mean he was in the wrong era sort of i mean almost almost right because there are a lot yeah. of you know uh, uh, one-man bands uh that come out there but it mostly it's just like the, this dinosaur era with the dinosaur rock bands that just has to be has to be loud sure um i mean even you know bob dylan changed uh from acoustic to electric a bit earlier you know but yeah. that was maybe a, a smart decision uh yeah. You know, because the crowds were getting too loud, and and the Beatles they gave up; they just stopped uh, playing live. Sure. So there's, um, yeah, diff difficult. Um, I made a, I actually made a synth cover of Days Done as well. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might, I might have, have an old MP3 somewhere. Yeah, we didn't add vocals on it. We tried, but we couldn't. Oof. And the idea for that one was uh, Jose Gonzalez, a Swedish artist. Yep. Uh, similar in a way to Nick Drake. He claims that he hadn't listened to him, but anyway, that's another discussion. But he made a cover of uh, Heartbeats by The Knife, this mm. uh, synthy sound, and he made it into an acoustic version. And I talked with my friend Christian in, in a band we had called Ocean Room, and we said that uh, maybe we'll do the reverse. We'll take a Nick Drake acoustic song and turn it into a synth song. And uh, I mean, it wasn't super successful, but uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's a little sidetrack there. And uh, it's also because I love that song so much. It's one of the best songs in the history of songs. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, I also had this question, you know, you, you immediately agree that it was a riff. And uh, it, yeah. I think it is because it also repeats during the whole uh, length of the song. It's the only thing that's being played. Uh, however, when he sings, it's a bit uh, simplified. Yeah. Just so uh, I mean, there, there's so many frills and stuff going on, and uh, it took me, I think, three weeks to like get the song down, so I didn't have to, you know, constantly look at my fingers and like see where they were. It's hard. Yeah, but it, it was really worthwhile to uh, try to uh, learn it. So I can really recommend it to you, listener. Uh, I think if you don't have anything more to add, I'll play it one more time. Sure. What, what's the key of the song, just to get that before? Is it D minor? Or? It sounds like D minor. Yeah, so the, you have a, you're in E standard and the capo is on the fifth fret. Mm, okay. The saddest of all keys. Yeah, according maybe. to <laughs> Nigel, Nigel Tufnell, <laughs> according to exactly. him. Exactly. So let's exactly. listen to this uh, beautiful riff once more. Riff. that's it dear listeners thank you for joining us on this little escapade back to well for us uh, 15 20 years back uh, yeah mm. around that time and for uh, as far as the artists go a little bit further than that and uh, yeah i really enjoyed this episode man it was uh, again an interesting when we make these uh, secret choices the combinations can really trigger some some odd memories or interesting paths of discussion, I do believe. And yeah. I, I like this episode. It was a good episode, man. I liked it. <laughs> I think so, too. Uh, it, uh, yeah, but definitely. I mean, it's also uh, in the unexpected, uh, like you say, it, uh, 
yeah, I, I try to say the same thing that you just put very succinctly and uh, perfectly, uh, that it brings up uh, strange memories that you thought you'd forgotten and uh, strange feelings as well. Mm, yeah. But as a, like, uh, a conclusion, uh, do you maybe agree that today you listen more to Nick Drake than you listen to uh, uh, At The Gates? Sure, I do. I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't listened to Nick Drake in a bit, in a while, but uh, I feel more like picking that up now than, than Slaughter of the Soul. And as I said before, mm. At The Gates, they're kind of on their own now. They don't need me. And Nick Drake, <laughs> uh, where, wherever he is, I don't know, but he mm. definitely exists in my in my memory, in my in my little music world within my brain, you know, in the metaphysical world of music, he's definitely a hero of mine still. And I am going to pick up uh, for sure Family Tree because that album makes me feel good. It brings memories of beautiful mountains, majestic mountains. And it's just, uh, wow. yeah, man, he's a good artist. He's a good artist. I'm glad yeah. you brought him in. And I hope you, dear listener, also enjoyed uh, diving into Nick Drake as well as At The Gates. And... Uh, we will be back with another weird combination in a week, as usual. As always. Yeah. Uh, let's see if you can dig up that old uh, synth version. Maybe I can put some uh, vocals, or both of us. Oh, yeah. uh, that would be very interesting. Maybe not for this episode, but maybe later. We will see. I really, I, I must say, I really, <laughs> really like. Sometimes I'm a bit shocked of what you put in. Like, was <laughs> a recent episode you put this song? Like, yeah, wow. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay that's that's okay we're featuring this okay this is out in the open <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's really nice i think that's uh it's also a good way a sneaky way of getting uh songs up on spotify yeah so quickly too 20 minutes because <laughs> if you proper <laughs> if you properly distribute stuff you have to wait for a week and you have to pay for it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there so listener, now we might put in the electronic day is done or something else that I, <laughs> I want to sneak in here and that's what you're going to listen to and uh, that's where we're going to leave you for this week so uh, I'd like to say thank you again and uh, over and out yeah and if you like this podcast of course leave us a five star review at Apple Podcast uh, can also always be helpful other than that excited to see what you bring next week Jonathan I'm already working on my riff ciao <laughs>